0: Good morning. morning. So the leaders that put together the Christian church year have designated the this week, the weekend after the um, January 6th, when you come back together for the, the second Sunday after that, you would have a celebration of the baptism of Jesus Christ. So. If you watch more closely from here on out, every year in January, there'll be some emphasis in a Sunday service all over Christendom, not just the Lutheran churches on the baptism of Jesus Christ. Because the way the church calendar goes to keep you focused on your Savior when you come in the rhythm every Sunday is to keep you in the story of his life that was lived for you. So born at Christmas, wise men come. We celebrate January 6th. And then Jesus, after his 30-year life in privacy, starts His public ministry at His baptism. And then that begins the grand march toward the cross on Easter Sunday. And so we celebrate that in this in January. And at His baptism, which was an an incredibly glorious event that's very memorable and hard to forget once you hear it, at His baptism, Jesus was marked by the father and the holy spirit the other two beings in the trinity as that one guy that one guy so we just went through probably one of the craziest presidential elections our country has had in a really long time right historian she studies lincoln so she's she knows about some crazy times back then crazy I had a hard time choosing whom to vote for because, frankly, with all the mudslinging, if just one or two of the big things were true, and I believe at least one or two are, that were said about each other, I wanted to know if there was maybe a third choice that could win that I could find and pick. Because neither one in my heart is that guy that I'd be looking for for president or that gal. But we had to pick if we wanted to vote for a winner one or the other of those two major party candidates. And their warts are obvious. You might feel that way sometimes about the parents that raised you or are raising you, that they're really not that guy and that gal that you'd always hoped that you would get. And you live in some critique of them. It may be about your spouse. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I'll often say, the first year of marriage is both glorious and inglorious because there is a process of discovery that they really aren't that guy or that gal exactly that you hoped or imagined. It may be about your children. It may be about your siblings, your teacher, or, God forbid, about one of your pastors. You've not ever looked at me, have you, and said he's not that guy that I want him to be or hope to Yeah, I know you have. You've even said to each other close to home, I wish Patterson would, maybe. It's because there's nobody that's that guy or that gal that meets that perfect expectation of perfection that would bless our life completely, except for this man, Jesus Christ. No one has ever been that guy except him. Even if you have thought that somebody was that guy or that gal, God the Father didn't, as He sees everything about them that you don't see. You think you live close and personable with a few people? God lives close and personal with every thought that oozes out of their heart and mind. But here comes that guy. John the Baptist, his cousin, and John the Baptist was Jesus distant relative. Maybe not a first cousin, but he was a cousin. John the Baptist certainly knew that Jesus was that guy. People loved John the Baptist because he was the boldest, bravest preacher of goodness that they had ever seen in their generation. And when people came out to hear John preach, and they had to go out to hear him preach because they had, he was way out in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey, the great promised forerunner from the Old Testament, he was out there preaching about sin and repentance and forgiveness and changing lives. But John the Baptist was so penetrating and so intimidating, I'm not sure any of us would have ever wanted to be hanging out with him. I know that because less people hang out with us preachers if we are really good at revealing things to them i don't even want to hang out with preachers like me john the baptist knew what sin was and he was he could he had insight about people remember when the religious leaders came to see him he said don't come out here and think that you can just act religious and get baptized in an outward way but you better be coming here for repentance with a changed life and he pointed out a few things Well, here comes Jesus. Well, let me back up. People said to John, are you the Christ? They thought he was so good and so perfect. And what did he say? No, the Christ is someone I'm not even worthy to wash his feet by untying his sandals and getting down there and scrubbing his feet. I'm not even worthy to do that. He's so holy. So this holy man named John that made us all nervous was not holy enough to even wash Jesus' feet. There was this Jesus that was coming was that guy. Somewhere in John's life, he says this in the Gospel of John the Apostle, John the Baptist says, I did not know who he would be for sure until the Spirit would descend on him when he was baptized, because the one that sent me to baptize, somewhere in my life, he'd been taught to watch for the dove, the Holy Spirit, anointing the one he baptized. And he'd know that was that guy that was holy. So here comes Cousin Jesus, whom John... Remember, John's born of an old man and woman, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Remember, Mary went to see Elizabeth when she was pregnant because they were relatives and they'd hide out together. Mary was pregnant as a little teen, and she's pregnant as an old woman. And these two boys are in that community. They didn't grow up necessarily in the same town, but they grew up in that family community. John the Baptist has Jesus coming to him down to the water. And John knows Not that the Holy Spirit's going to come down in the form of a dove, but it did. He didn't know for sure, but he knew one thing, that man's holy. And so he's out there, he's used to people coming to baptism with tears streaming down their faces, getting rid of that filthy, shameful feeling of all their sins, coming to his great announcement that when I wash you with water, you get to leave those sins in the Jordan River and live a new life. And Jesus has no tears. and He knows he doesn't need any. And John the Baptist says, you're coming to me to be baptized? You're that guy. I'm the guy that needs you to baptize me. John's used to everybody else sort of needing his baptism. He needs to be baptized by this guy. It's a glorious little story. Let's put it on the screen and look in the folder. I'll read both paragraphs. It's on page 7. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus came from Galilee in the north to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. With him I am well pleased. I don't know if you were paying attention, but the song that was between the readings was about this event trying to show that heaven had come down to earth. And it was walking through the the moods and the emotions that a believer has when they watch this baptism. It's a glorious thing. The theology of who Jesus Christ is is in full color here. There are a lot of people saying a lot of things about who Jesus is that are not saying correct things, but you get the good theology from the apostles themselves when they write about the baptism. Who is this guy, Jesus? Well, let's just parse the text a little bit. Let's, I know, preacher talk. Let's divide it up and talk about it. What did Jesus mean when he said, Fulfill all righteousness. Oh, man, a lot of ink has been spilled on that because it's not the way we normally talk, ever. If you were paying attention, when Chad was reading over here Isaiah 42, he read a prophecy that's not as popular as he'll be born in Bethlehem or stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. It's a, but it's a prophecy about the Christ, nevertheless. This is a prophecy in Isaiah 42 that says, God, when the Christ comes on earth, God's saying, I will anoint him with my spirit and fulfill my righteous plan to save the planet. That's a summary of what he read. So John the Baptist knows Isaiah very well. John's prophecy about himself is in Isaiah. And when Jesus wanted to tell John later, when John had doubts that Jesus really was the Christ, he quotes from Isaiah because John knows Isaiah very well. So John says, you're going to get baptized? And Jesus says what? I'm fulfilling Isaiah 42. This is the moment where I come out of hiding. I'm no longer the private Jesus. It's becoming public, and we're fulfilling the plan to bring righteousness to the earth. This is the grand march. This is the big deal. This is the last part of my life. It's coming now to fruition. We're fulfilling the plan for me to bring righteousness to everybody else baptize me. In a soft way, this is kind of like what Jesus did with Mary at the wedding at Cana. When she says, you know, they have no more wine, and he goes, what do you have to do with me? But I'll do the miracles when I'm supposed to. He says to John, just just do this. We're fulfilling the plan to bring righteousness to the planet. And so he goes down into the river and he gets baptized and he comes up on the bank and when he gets up on the bank, God, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, does exactly what Isaiah said. It anoints Him. And this one's anointed by God. Remember the prophets, priests, and kings were anointed by the the high priest with oil? Well, this one's anointed by God and by His Spirit and not oil. And the voice. See the theology? The Spirit, the Son, the Father. There's three beings, but there's one God. This is mind-boggling, glorious event. This is the Son whom I love. I am pleased with Him. For God the Father, this is that guy. Just yesterday I was going through my Facebook news feeds, you know, catching up on people. One of our dearest family friends through soccer and football has a son that's a year behind mine. In, their, in her Facebook she said, you know, this is January, Okay, one last Facebook about my son's football season. And then she had a picture of her family with him. And she said he got this award and that award and this award and that award. And that's why we call Facebook brag book, right? And it's not all bad. It's an opportunity to share your joys. Not all bragging is bad. What I wanted, I told you that for a reason. It's not because I care two hoots about Facebook or bragging. It's because God was putting Jesus on the ancient Facebook. (laughs) That's what he was doing. This is my son, whom I love, and I am well pleased with him. He is that guy. But get this, what God is excited about is not a self-consuming exploit for his own selfish glory. What God the Father was so excited about was that Jesus was willingly, perfectly, Stepping up to start the grand march to suffering and death. See, as long as he stayed in hiding, he could be avoiding the terrible threats, the embarrassing things like when his mom and brothers said he was crazy and came and tried to pull him out of a crowd. The defecting friends who deny him or betray him. Herod threatening to put him to death. Remember his hometown when they tried to push him out on the, over a cliff on a hill? He could have avoided all of that by just staying private but he was willingly coming out to what to be publicly the sacrifice for you and for me and god the father knew humanity from adam and eve all the way to the last baby born is going to be redeemed by this one because we love this planet of people And he's going to glorify my love and my plan. And he's going to be a participant and the owner and the lamb. And he is my son. And this is what we do. This is what we do as a Trinity. We save people. We love them all. And that's my boy that's going to do it. He's that guy. And I know you've known that for most of you. I'm looking at you. You're Christians. You're my Christians. You're people I know. I know you know this. But I'm going to tell you something the roots of most of our bitterness and disappointment in the people around us is we tried to make each other that guy. And we get so disappointed and grouchy and grumpy about each other not meeting our expectations, but really we're the father of our own pain because we're making people that guy that only Jesus can be. And when you stare at His baptism and you see how wonderful He is in this moment of worship for your own private heart, what God wants you to do is to repent of that and say, Jesus, you're my guy. And then, to think through what that means. So let's say it's guilt and shame that nobody in your little world, you would even trust enough to tell everything you feel badly about because they're just, they wouldn't take away the guilt and shame, they'd only add to it by being shocked or shamed or ashamed of you so you hold that in jesus is that guy that you can go to that you should go to that god always intended that you'd go to you know one of the troubles of sinners who have addictions and really that's an oxymoron all sinners have addictions and all addictions, addicted people are sinners is that we get so shamed by our own addiction to our sins is that we th- we, we feel like we're so alone that we can never get rid of the shame because if other people knew how easily we fall prey to the same temptations again and again, they'd be as ashamed of us as we are and we feel trapped. And Jesus says, no, that's why I came. I came because I knew all along you'd be addicted to sin. Later, his apostle would say, if you say you're without sin, you deceive yourself. So the minute you think you haven't sinned, you're in denial about your addiction to it. But if you confess it, he's already forgiven. He's faithful to tell you that and he'll take the shame away. This is that guy. This is the place where you can live with your head up even if you've had a major personal fall to temptation 30 minutes ago. Last night. Last week. You can live as pure as Jesus because his purity is yours. He's that guy that forgives you. It's washed away. You don't have to Run from your own shame shadow. You're forgiven. Jesus is that guy. Your parents maybe can't handle it. Your wife or husband, maybe they can't deal with it. But that guy can. He can deal with it. And he did. And the Father was proud of him for it. And you need to believe in that so you can get on with your life of living in grace of that guy. He's your man. If it's uh, modeling because you feel like you've had models that you grew up under that were not the models that you should have had, and you're feeling like you can't really get unstuck in life because it wasn't really modeled for you what you need to have to get unstuck, here's your guy. Jesus is the guy you watch. What would he do? Study his life. Listen to the way the stories are told about how he lived Get insight prayerfully from who He is and who He was so you can learn how to live your life. You don't have to always fall back on, well, my daddy or mommy never did that for me or they didn't show me that way or they always treated me this way. Push that aside and let Jesus be your guy and give your mom and dad a break because you've been thinking they had to be perfect. They're not, see? Now there is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us to a place that I want to pause for a minute about him being that guy so you, you, you really understand that in his baptism you can draw this insight from the Holy Spirit out of this text that will give you a comfort at one of the hardest places that you're going to go through in life. Some of you know about this in your head and you're hoping it'll never happen to you. Others of you have, have started to have it brush on your life and, and, and still others have drank from this deeply, this, this way of suffering. And it goes like this. You are completely overwhelmed with the truth that your life is nearing its end. You have been told that you have a terminal illness or you have two or three things and you're aging and, or, you're, it's, or you're younger and you're terminal but you know that your terminality is near at hand. And you feel scared and alone and unconsulted with because you didn't want this at this time in your life. And it's the biggest, baddest problem we all have. We're terminal and it's lonely and it's afraid, it's fearful. And you feel like those that don't feel so terminal can't touch you right now. They can't get to you. They Everything sounds trite. Everything sounds weird. They sound like they're not walking with you down that path and you're all alone. And I'm telling you right now again, this is that guy. When he stepped up to his baptism as the Lord himself, he knew that he was terminally ill with our sins. He had three years, three years. Just like a doctor saying, this runs its course. It usually takes three years of treatment, but your time is marked. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In that glorious moment, we're saying, you're 30, but you're gone in three. And all those things that I said he could have avoided, he knew he was about to experience. Friends, family, de- betraying, denying. And it was gonna, Herod threatening to kill him. All these things. He raises Lazarus from the dead two weeks before he died. And they say, the leaders of Israel say, well, we've got to kill Jesus and Lazarus now to get rid of this movement. Nobody with their hard hearts in that leadership would ever bend or break for him. And he knew it would all mean gruesome death by Romans who were really just kind of pawns because they, they didn't put Jesus to death because they had a religious hate for him. They did it because they were forced to by the Jewish leaders. Who had a, the, everything was just this huge, on the surface, ugly end terminal cancer of the earth attacking the Holy Son of God. And he knew all of that was his and he was all alone. And he can relate to you when you feel that way. You can't even relate to the depth at which he felt it. But he wants you to know on this day of his baptism that he's that guy that when you cry out to him from your fears and your, your frustration and that deep sense of aloneness, he's listening. He's listening. He knows, and He will hold your hand through it all. Because you know what happened? The reason He stepped up was to turn life upside down. He tasted death so you could taste life. He had to go through the same things that we did so He could take away the same things. He could get rid of the fear of death, and He could give us the hope of eternal life. He did all of this by entering our world and living our life just like we live so that we could have A life with hope while we go through this sinful life that ends somewhere. Because it doesn't end because of Him. He fixed the biggest thing. Termination. He removed that and said your soul will go on in the grace of God and your body will raise up one day and join it forever in heavenly way. Mine's going to raise up on Easter. That's the great news. And it all starts at that baptism when He stepped up. To be that guy. When I'm going through the hardest times of loneliness, I'll tell you what nags at my brain, because I think it nags at some of yours. I hear messages like I'm preaching right now. I'm going to give you a true confession. Sometimes when I hear other preachers say this, when I'm really hurting, I just want to say, give me Jesus with some skin on. I don't want words. I want to see the guy and hold him and have his arms around me and I want to feel it and i think sometimes you have those feelings too cuz you're human he knew we would feel that way he understood that and he, he and he has an answer but it's not going to be the answer to the question the way you asked it it's going to be the way he wants you to ask it so the question he wants to hear is not show you know when are you going to show up with your skin on and hug me he wants you to say How do I find you, Jesus? So I cannot be so alone because I feel it. Because the fact that you don't have skin on right now is keeping me lonely. He says, you find me in my words. It's in my words. Because my words are living and powerful. Does that sound like a Bible passage? It is. They get down to the deepest part of your being. See, souls don't live on blood and food and nervous system souls live on words you can kill a soul with words and you can make a soul alive with words our souls find the love of God in the words of God and that's why Jesus said when he's got this raging group around him because he's got skin on and there are this huge crowds coming to him he says if you remain in my words and my words remain in you then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free Because he knew he was checking out to die for our sins, and a sin, he knew he wasn't going to be here, but what he'd leave behind were his words. That's why the night before he died, he's got those 12 close by, for part of the time even Judas, and he said, you remember my words, they will sanctify you, they will keep you close, you'll be united, and when you forget, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he's going to remind you of those words. And then those apostles later knew that the Holy Spirit had come and was working with them. And they carefully, painstakingly, when there was very little paper, very little ink, with their lives, they couldn't just type it out on their phone or their computer. They painstakingly wrote down the words of Christ and the teachings of Christ beyond that. We got our New Testament. And the Bible is a living Jesus for your soul but it's not with skin on. You can't see Him, but you can see Him with your heart in those words. And He says, I want you to have Me close by. The next best thing until you see Him in heaven is to be near Christians who have skin on who will share with you the Word and not just their own thoughts. He'll hold it out in front of you and say, we're here to wrap our arms around you and to be that person yourself for other people with the word of God and with your skin. And then Jesus is being that guy through his words in the life of his people. There's no reason to live lonely or bitter when you have that guy. There's no reason to rise and fall on who's the president or how great your mom and daddy were or bad they were or how long you had them. There's no reason to live in war with your spouse or angry with your kids or mad at your sister or brother over something earthly till the day you die. Because they're not that guy. Jesus is that guy.